0: This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. No, yeah. If anybody needs a Bible, raise your hand. We have a Bible that we can get to you, put in your hand. Today's message is a special message in John chapter 13, and I want to take note for you today that if you are new with Paradise Calvary Chapel, this is not your home church or you don't know if this is where God has you to be. This message is not for you, okay? It's still a good word, And it's something that you can receive, but I'm going to be bold and I'm even going to be pointed at people who who have fellowshipped here for a long time uh, because the message, today's message is about service and serving in the body of Christ in the capacity that God has called you to be. If you identify as a believer and you've been part of a body for some amount of time, you can be identified as a member which functions in a certain kind of capacity. So I'm not trying to guilt you into service. I just want to let you know some needs as our church grows that we need help in. And then we're going to look at how Jesus demonstrated and exemplified that calling of service to his disciples. Really, to us, right? Are you his disciple? He exemplified it to them he exemplifies it to us. And take note now, if, if you're a note taker, by the way, there's calendars in your seat backs in front of you. On the back of those calendars of activities, there's a space for notes. I'm gonna have seven no's for you, not N-O, seven K-N-O-Ws that you're gonna be able to go with me through this text and identify that uh, things that God wants you to know Jesus knew and, and God wants you to have understanding in. So you can take note that, We'll go through those seven things, and you can take notes. I forgot what I was going to say. All right. Well, let's pray for the word today. God, we thank you for speaking to us, and we thank you that we can take note that you wouldn't ask us to do anything that you weren't willing to do yourself. Jesus hasn't asked us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. And we thank you, God, for that example here in John chapter 13. We pray, God, that our hearts would be f- uh, fertile soil to receive the seed of your word. We pray, Father, that, um, that you would be the one that moves in your church, brings conviction and allows us to function in the body the way that that you've made us to, you've created us to do. Thank you, God, for our worship team. We offer you the fruit of our lips, this time of studying your word, the application of your word in our lives, and the the tithes and offerings that are made today, Father, that we we pray that they would be to your glory. They would be an act of worship in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We live, you guys know this, We live in a service industry city, right? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we have added more services, church services, to help people be able to be available for people who have these crazy shifts because we have announced to the world, Las Vegas wants you here. And when you come, we're gonna serve you. We're gonna serve you well. We want you to kick your feet up, just relax And sometimes when you're in that kind of industry of service, you can kind of get burnt out because service is always directly connected to people. And people can be stinky. I don't know if you know this, but people can be stinky. I um, myself have a favorite saying, I love, 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 love being a pastor. It's my dream job. The only difficult thing, the only thing I don't like about ministry is the people. That's the only thing. Other than that, it's fine. People can be very difficult. There's a radio station in town that I kind of, I don't know how I happened by it. It was in a a store or something, and they were playing this radio station. And they have this time, it's called SICK. Service Industry Complaints. Have you guys ever heard it before? And what they do is they have people call in and tell these ridiculous stories about how they, you know, the customer's always right. And what happened and and they say they, 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 this is this is my complaint. And, and I jotted a couple down that I wanted to read to you as an example. We ran, we not me, they, we ran out of medium-sized fountain drink cups at the place I work at. So we were giving out large ones instead for the price of a medium. A lady flipped out and demanded that she get the drink for free since it wasn't the size that she wanted. <laughs> Here's another one, different person. I was managing a restaurant years ago and a woman came in complaining that the three prime rib dinner she got for takeout last night with baked potatoes was disgusting. It made her and her whole family sick. The hostess called me over, verified what she said. Then I had to inform her that we have never sold prime rib or baked potatoes and I was calling the police. I've never seen someone run that fast in my entire life people can be difficult. And I would like to say, you guys know me, I think by now, I would like to say that, that I'm fine with it. You know, like it happens, things happen. But if you're in, in sales, or if you're in just serving other people, you're going to run across those people. But what if you really knew that you were going to have a difficult customer? How would you treat them What do you think? You're a server, okay? Let's say you're a server in a restaurant, and this party comes in that you know, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, this isn't a think, this is you know for certain factually that this party is going to um, stiff you. They're not gonna give you any tip. How would you respond to serving that table through the course of their meal that night? I wouldn't go to that table at all. What do you guys want? I don't even care what you want. I know how you're going to treat me. Think about this. Jesus knew the heart and intention of every single person he served while he was here on earth. He knew them. He knew what they were thinking. He knew what their intentions were. And he still willingly, 100%, Knowing that he wasn't going to get a tip, served them with all of his heart to the degree. And this story blows my mind. I still have to like, still have to go through it and like look at it from a different perspective or something. He still not only allowed Judas to be on his team in his inner circle, but he served him. He served Judas as his enemy. Well, that's where I draw the line. You know, I'll serve people, I'll love people, I'll take care of people, but my enemies? No, Jesus did. And then at the end of this study, he says, I want you to do the same example. I want you to do the same things that I've done for you. I want you to experience the kind of love that's life-changing. How many times did Jesus have to deal with his, his own disciples, whether it be Judas or, or the others? How many times did he say, ye of little faith, or why are you doubting, or why don't you trust what I'm telling you is truth? Because he knew what they were thinking, but he was so long-suffering with them. I would be like, leave me alone. God, I think that the whole flood thing was a really good idea. I know you promised not to do it again, but can we just wipe some of these people out? Chapter 13, verse 1, is our first know, K-N-E-W, or O-W, however you like to spell it With right now, but verse 1. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. What does this say? What does this say? It says that Jesus knew his time was coming to a close. And it's very easy for us when we're we're reaching the destination, the goal, when we know that it's our commitments almost over to check out. But Jesus did the opposite. He said, instead of checking out, I'm gonna do the most intentional thing that I can do for these people to show them how much what? How much what? How much he loved them. The, the heart of service is always directly connected to love. Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Number one, what could be your motivation and service? Knowing where you came from and where you're going. You know, I'm in a better mindset when I serve people knowing that God's the one that sent me there to bless and serve them. And that wherever I go from there, I'm going to the father again. I'm going to the next person or the next situation or scenario when God has fostered and facilitated an opportunity for me to love other people. And ultimately, like where I came from, thinking, thinking about that, where I came from, I didn't like people, <laughs> I didn't put myself in a place where I would serve them. I told you you before that I would look at relationships of how it would benefit me, not how it would benefit them. Jesus taught me something different. He taught me that where I came from was the wrong place and where I am now, he's fostered to send me out to show the love of God just like he did for me. And you can be in a good place when you love and serve others, remembering where you came from, remembering where you're going, just like Jesus did. That was the motivation for him to having loved his own who were there were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's a co- funny conversation. Funny story, I was in Austria at a missions conference years ago and there was a team from Seattle that came to serve the pastors and missionaries at this conference. Grace and I were there. We had some very dear friends who run the castle, the conference center. I say a castle cuz cuz it's a it's a gorgeous castle on in the Austrian Alps on a mountainside overlooking a lake. And we would stay a few extra days after everybody else had had gone back to where they are from and spend some time with our dear dearly beloved friends. It was two days afterwards and and the team from Seattle was packing up and getting ready to fly back to the States, but they had stayed to clean and to take care of, you know, things that needed to be taken care of. And I walked down around nine or 10 in the morning to the coffee shop. They have a, a dedicated, their own coffee shop. And if you don't know me, I love coffee. So I was looking forward to, I was determined to have a cup of coffee that was going to bless my soul. I walked in the coffee shop, and there were a a few people from the team from Seattle behind the bar. And I said, hey, I would like an Americano. It's kind of my signature drink. Or two or three, whatever, you know. And the guy behind the counter said, nope, sorry, we're closed. And I was like, clearly, you're here behind the counter. And I don't think you heard me the first time. I need a coffee. You know, coffee is a love language. Those of you who don't know that, it is. And, and I really would appreciate if you could make... I'm going to pay for it, you know? He's behind the counter. He looks me square in the eye and said, Week's over, dude. And turned around and walked away. And it was the closest that I've ever come to punching somebody in the throat at a Christian conference. <laughs> because if I didn't mention it already, we're talking about coffee, okay? If you're offended, you must not like coffee. So as a joke, you know, grace will say it from time to time or my dear friends who were there at the time for no reason or for some silly reason, Tim wants this or that weeks over, dude. What's the indicator? The indicator is that I committed to serving you. I committed to loving you for a certain amount of time and that has expired now. So I do not need to love you anymore. I do not need to serve you weeks over, dude. That's not how it works in Jesus's, in God's economy we finished the strongest at the end to have that example for others that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. As an indicator, that guy probably wasn't even saved. I'm just kidding, I don't know. know. But he did give me some, you know, a good sermon illustration. Service is born out of love. Now, there's so much to unpack in these few verses. is so rich, like the dynamics of of what's happening. But, But let's look at three different things that kind of transpire. Number one, supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus. Number one, What's happening to Judas? I've had a couple conversations this past week about this very thing. If you could define what spiritual warfare is, I could define it in one word, how would you explain to somebody what spiritual warfare is? I have my, my uh, personal conviction that you're going to be tempted or tried in three different ways as a Christian. Your te- your flesh is going to tempt you to, to fulfill its lusts and desires. The enemy is going to tempt you to go against the word of God, to be a son or daughter of disobedience, or the Lord will test you to prove the genuineness of your faith to help you know where you're really at, because sometimes we can deceive ourselves. And he's like, no, you really don't believe that here. I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to cry like a little baby, because that's not really what you believe. I'll show you. And it's to our benefit. It's for our good. But when we talk about spiritual warfare and we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places, what does that really mean? And it kind of creepy. You get the goosebumps. Oh, that's weird. There's things, there's beings looking at me right now in the spiritual realm. This is what I would say in one word spiritual warfare is influence. It is, it is a thought comes into your head that you don't know where it came from. I know where it came from. You know that that thought's wrong and bad and you shouldn't entertain it, but you do anyway. This is the enemy influencing you in a direction to get you to do something that's in opposition to what God's perfect will is for you. And it's always a counterfeit. It's always an offering you of something that's lesser than the good things that God has for you. It's Satan standing up on the, on the top with Jesus and saying, look at all the ki- Kingdoms of the world, I'll give them to you, Jesus, if you bow down and serve me. He says, I, you can't bow down and serve anybody but the, but the one true God. And Jesus knew that what God had for him was greater than what the enemy had to offer. And every time one of those things come up, every time your heart is pushed in a direction that you know it shouldn't be, there's an influence that's coming into your life. The devil wants to rip off the good things that God has for you by offering something inferior in its place. Here's our second no, knowing in verse two. Also our second point of our three in this little section of verses. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God it's almost like a response. Like I, uh, Satan influences Judas to this part. Jesus is focusing on what he knows God has given to him. The great things, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. Do you know that you have been given everything? That you were seated in the heavenlies. You've, given, you've been given all blessings by God. But Satan, when he comes in, he always challenges those promises. He says, have you really been given everything? You don't feel like you've been given everything. Maybe God hasn't given you that. And he tries to influence you in a certain direction. But Jesus, in direct contrast to Judas Iscariot being tempted, knows what his value, his worth, and what he's been given by God, his father, and where he's going back to. That's a motivator for you and I in service as well. No matter who is around us, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, maybe for us this isn't that big of a deal. It's a foot washing ceremony. But you have to remember, okay, that people's feet got really dirty. They had what sandals on, most of the time what I like to call Jerusalem cruisers, and as they cruised around Jerusalem, their feet were exposed, they'd get dirty and they were needed to be washed. But this isn't something that just anybody would do. It would be a a servant servant. It would be the lowest person All right, you go wash people's feet. But this isn't something that you think, like think of the most famous person that you know that you would love to get together with, hang out with. I really like Marc-Andre Fleury. Can I get a witness? You guys like Marc-Andre Fleury? Yeah, you guys know him? Come on. Marc-Andre Fleury and I share something in common. I didn't know if you know this. Not only are we both incredibly good looking, but we also share the same birthday. Yes, yes. And I have really, they say that you're three people removed, you know, from certain people. And I would really like, if any of you know, for a way for me to get Marc-Andre Fleury's number. I'm going to call him and invite him to lunch for our birthday this year. So help me out if you can, okay? So Mark andre says, sure, Tim, I'll have lunch with you. And he, he says, I'll meet you at your house. And I say, okay, come on over. And he pulls up and he gets out in his pads. No, he doesn't have his pads on. He's just no, like a normal person. And he says, dude, your truck is filthy. I can't believe you drive around in this beautiful Tacoma with it looking so dirty. And he grabs the hose and he, he starts to wash my truck. Okay, it's not a direct comparison to washing your feet, but it's something that we cruise around and it gets dirty, right? I'm like, stop. No, don't. What are you doing? You're my guest. I want to serve you, not you serving me. We kind of get the, the picture of, of how uh, Peter's feeling. Jesus says, my level of service to you, I am never going to call you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. And this is what I want you to do. We'll see when we get a little bit further. He takes... The water and the towel in which he was girded and he washes their feet. Then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Take note, that's our third no. He says, you don't know why now, but you will know. And as you do acts of service, you love others and you engage in the body of Christ to serve others, it might not make sense right now in this moment while you're wiping boogers off a snotty-nosed kid's face in kids' ministry because we need volunteers. You may not know in that moment what the benefit is, but I can tell you in confidence God wants you to know that it is going to bear some fruit in the future. I know many pastors and ministers, people involved in ministry, that got saved and plugged into church because they were in kids' ministry or invited to a vacation Bible school. Remember we talked about that a few months ago when we had our VBS? I know a couple pastors who they their parents were like, oh man, it's summertime, we don't want to put up with you. That church down the road is having a vacation Bible school, whatever that is, free babysitting, go down there. And their families weren't believing. Here they are in this context in a church where people are, Genuinely loving them? Kids are not dumb. Do you guys know that? They may act dumb most of the time, but they're not stupid. They can tell when they're accepted and when they're rejected. They can tell when they're loved or somebody's doing something to, to save face or to go through the motions. You will know after this, stop thinking about what you loving somebody or serving somebody looks like just because you don't know the purpose of it in the future. There was a lady that once said to me, she went through a very difficult time. She was on the mission field also. She went through a very difficult season. They were moving back to the States because of how difficult, difficult it was. And she was kind of venting a little. And she said, I'll never understand why God brought me all the way over here. Now I have to move back to the States. I, I, and I'll never know why I went through all this. I'm like, you be quiet. Come, where's the faith? You may not know now, but I have full confidence in God that He's going to show you hindsight's 2020 and that you should never even have said that. Now, we all have lapses of judgment or faith, right? So I can't be too hard because I go through the same things. But know this number three, know this your service to the Lord. May not make sense now, but you will know in the future. And what was, that directly, what was that statement directly connected to, as Jesus said? His serving them so that they could serve each other. Him loving them so that they in the future could love each other. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said to him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands, my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. There's our fourth new or no. What did Jesus know? What's number four? What did he know? He knew who his enemies were. And the profundity of this verse is... We saw earlier that Judas is already being influenced by the enemy before dinner. Jesus is fully aware of it and is waiting for the perfect time to wash all of their feet, not until he conveniently is going to leave the scene. See, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, you know, I'd be like, all right, guys, you know, we're gonna, hey, don't you got something to do, buddy? Why don't you get going? And then after Judas is gone, hey, I'm going to serve you guys and bless you by washing your feet. He didn't do that. He knew the enemy and he chose to serve and love him anyway. This is a concept for me. Maybe it's easier for you, but let me tell you for me, this is a concept for me that I cannot wrap my brain around. If I knew Judas Iscariot, you know what I would do? I'll be like, get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I know your service to me is selfishly in self-purposed. And I don't want to have anything to do with you. No, no. Think about this for a second. We're going to get to it in in a few verses, but think about this. Not only did Jesus allow Judas to be part of his inner circle, but he gave him one of the most important jobs. You're like, What's wrong with you, Jesus? You know Judas was the was the the treasurer. He was the money keeper, and we know through from scripture that he was he was putting a little in his own pocket. If you know what I mean, and Jesus was okay with it. Do you know why? Because he had all the resources at 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 the tips of his fingers. His father was God. He said, "I can call down ten legions of angels right now. Like, what are you guys tripping for? Put your sword away." Hey, Peter, you, you don't have your money for the taxes? Go fishing. The first fish you catch, reach in his mouth and take the money out from the fish's mouth and go pay the taxes. He wasn't worried about it. He allowed the enemy to be in, in, involved in the process to teach us a lesson. There's going to be people that you do not like. Can, can I get a witness? There's gonna be people that rub you the wrong way. There's gonna be people that you know only have harm intended for you. And if they could do it, they'd do it right now. And Jesus is like, well, you know what I would do? I would love them. I would love them. Some people wanna argue that Judas was saved. I believe that there's no scriptural support and I know that this may, may rough a few feathers, but there's no scriptural support. In fact, in scripture, whenever it talks about cleanliness, white robes, being clean, it's always a reference to salvation. And clearly Jesus says that he wasn't clean, right? He wasn't clean. Also in another place, Jesus says, whoever, whoever uh, betrays the son of man, it's better for them that they were never born. I pity their mother because the process that Jesus went through with Judas is given even the enemy every opportunity to know who God the Father was, even the enemy. So when you say, I have rights, when you say, I won't serve you for X, Y, Z because you don't like me, Jesus loves him. Jesus loves her. God sent his son to die knowing that there were going to be people that betrayed him. This is motivation for me because I would like to not admit it and I'd like to just act like I love everybody, but there's people that I struggle with. There's people that you struggle with. There's people that I would rather not have in my life, but you know what? I love them in Jesus' name. I literally give them my time, energy, resources in Jesus' name. And I've seen miracles happen by not doing things the way that the world does them. This is how you respond. This is how you react. This is what you do. No, Jesus says this. I want you to know that you can know the enemy. What's that old saying? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Jesus exemplified that perfectly. And he loved him to the end, even him. There's one person here in this room that I don't want to wash their feet. It's you, Judas. Can you please leave so I can serve these others, your brethren? He did not do it. Verse 12, so when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? There's your fifth no, we're knowing, right? You didn't know in, in chapter 13, there was all these, this, this head stuff, like our, our study through Philippians, it's all in your head. He wants, Jesus wants you to know something. And he says to them, I did this for you so that you would know something, you would consider something, take notes. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. What does Jesus say? Number five, he says, I want you to know. And then number six, he says, you'll know these things. And if you do them, what will you be? What did it say, church? You'll be blessed. You know, my favorite thing to say every time I come come across the word blessed in the Bible, what's another way that you can translate blessed in the Bible? Does anybody know? I've said it a million times. What is it? Anybody? Happy. Blessed can also be translated as happy. And and when people say, I don't think God wants me to be happy. No, make no mistake. God wants you to be happy. And it comes through the submission and obedience of your will to his will so that you can be blessed. And and it's funny because I wish that there was a period in that verse. If you know these things, blessed are you, period. Right? If you know these things, you're blessed. You're going to be happy. No, no. It's not enough to know. Number six, it's not enough to know. You have to know and apply it. You have to do. And when you do, when there's action to your faith, when you exercise what you believe, what's going to happen? You're going to be blessed. You're going to be happy. He says, take this, my example to you. I love you guys. I want to show you my love for you. Take my example. And guess what? You are going to be blessed and happy and encouraged if you do these these same things that you see me do. Do you know that the more that you love and serve others, the more satisfaction you get out of life? The more you love and serve yourself, the less content you'll be 100% of the time. That's why I'm so happy. If you know these things, you are blessed, are you, if you do them. Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who, I'm to, who, who I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. There's our seventh No. Jesus knows something else, doesn't he? Jesus says, I know who I've chosen. And this is what God wants you to understand this morning. We see throughout scripture, God knows you and he picked you. (laughs) If that's not good news, I don't know what is. Because I know me and I wouldn't pick me. (laughs) I know me and I don't like me sometimes. But God, knowing me like I know me even better, still says, I want you. He looks at me as a, as a naked, poor orphan without parents, doing my own thing, and he says, "I want to adopt you, and I want to bring you into my family, and clothe you, and cleanse you, and heal you." And God wants you to know, number seven, that He has chosen you. He's picked you. You're not the last one at the dodgeball competition, and. I don't want that guy, and I don't want that guy. But but you pick first, so so I guess I'll I got to take him. No, that's not how God operates. He doesn't look at you and see all of your deficiencies and shortcomings. He looks at you and he sees His Son Jesus Christ. He sees the blood of His Son covering your faults. And I'm much more motivated to love and serve others when I realize that maybe that person doesn't deserve for me to pick them, me, Tim, you know, I, you don't deserve for me to pick you, but I surely did not deserve to be picked by God. Let's not get too into the theology of that this morning. Just know this. If you've submitted to God, you love him. There's nothing that you can do to gain or garner or earn his favor. He has given it to you by the abundance of his grace alone. His mercy, and he's called you. He's reached out to you. And now we say, God, since I've experienced to this degree your passion for me, how can I redirect that toward others? Jesus is all about other people, he always identifies with them. He says, I know who who I've chosen. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another and perplexed about what he had spoke. Two things. Number one, what happens if you're doing these things? Knowing that God shows you, knowing that he's blessed you, what what happens? Your life is going to demonstrate that you were sent by Jesus, who was sent by God. You are going to be anointed, an anointed person that, that shows the love of God. And Jesus says, people are going to be able to see the difference in you, my chosen one. And then, in the next thing, verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Moses, surely I say to you, one of you will betray. Jesus wasn't okay with the fact that Judas was going to betray him. We may think, oh, Jesus is the son of God. He's like, no bigs, you know, like no worries. You're going to get 30 pieces of silver and then commit suicide and I'm going to die and raise from the dead and everything's going to be legit cool. Don't worry about it. No, there's something intrinsic in everybody, even the son of God, that when you're in such direct opposition, there's some damage that happens. I'll tell you on a a real note, I don't always share things like this, okay? But I won't be real. I just feel like the Lord's leading me to be real with you this morning. One of the most difficult things about being in ministry or as a pastor is to pour, pour, pour into people's lives and then have them stab you in the back. There's nothing that feels worse than that. There's nothing that feels like somebody said that they were your friend and then will will willingly cuss you out to your face because of of, of how you convict them of their sin. And you didn't even say anything about it. Jesus felt the pain of rejection from a man that I believe I would say he had all the authority over. Be like, I don't want you hanging out with us, Judas. Judas. I know, who, I know who influences you. I know what your motivation is. He gave up Jesus because he worshiped money. <laughs> he wanted to benefit personally through his relationship with Jesus, and Jesus knew that, and it cut him. He's upset. And the disciples looked at one another perplexed about who he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. I love this verse. I love this exchange because it's so kind of odd. You know, it's like, hey, Jesus, who is it? He's like, that guy right there. He's going to do it. Jesus answered, Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. Kind of want to just clarify something in the Bible for you guys. We've been talking about spiritual warfare and spirits. I just want to throw this out there and make sure that we're very clear. It is not possible for a Christian, somebody who professes faith in Jesus Christ to be demon-possessed not possible. And this is why. Up until this point, the gift of the Father, which you guys know is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, "I can't give you the gift of the Father until I leave. It's more beneficial for me to leave than to stay because if I stay, I'm like here and everybody else has got to be here too or wherever I go. But when I leave, the the Father's going to give the gift of the Holy Spirit to anybody who believes." So, Judas did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at this time. That didn't happen until Pentecost when the gift of the Father was given. So it is not possible, and obviously he probably was never saved, but it's not possible because the Holy Spirit doesn't keep roommates, okay? You can be oppressed by the enemy. You can be depressed by the influence of the enemy, but you cannot be possessed, This was a man who had fully rejected God's plan for not only his son, but his own personal life. And because of the degree of rejection of God and rebellion against God, Satan saw a perfect opportunity to do something that he wanted to accomplish against Jesus. Little did they all know the purposes that he was fulfilling in God. What you do, do quickly, but none of them at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. So it's our bonus no. You guys did your seven, but there's an eight there. But I like seven better than eight, so I cut that one out. But <laughs> for no reason, uh, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately And it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. He starts this demonstration of washing their feet with what? Having loved them who God had given him even to the end. He, he starts it with love and he ends it with love. And there's this huge, it's like a, a, a momentum builder crescendo that Jesus says, I want the mark that God makes on your life to look like the mark that I've made on your life, which is to love one another, to love each other. Because if you can't, church, if you can't love each other in the church here, you're not going to do it out there. And you're surely not going to do it towards your enemies. This is where we practice. A new commandment. It's not even a suggestion. Jesus says, a new suggestion I give to you, that you love one another. No, a new commandment that you love, as I have loved you. Jesus did not instruct the disciples or you and I to do anything that he wasn't fully willing to do himself. Amen? Let's look at these seven no's just as a takeaway. Look over them. And I did something different. I've never done this before in the 17 years that I've been in ministry. I've never done it. We have lists specifically of needs in the church. Our church is growing. We have needs that have come up. We have a limited amount of people serving in the church, and this message wasn't to guilt you into anything. It was just to help you find where your place is in the body. And we made this list of specific needs so that so you can say, I can do that, or I'd like to help there, or I can do that. And the reason at the beginning of the message that I said this wasn't for people who are new to the church or just attending, is because I don't want you to feel any kind of commitment to serving in, in, the, in that capacity right now. Give it some time. There'll come a day when you will know, like Jesus knew that it was his time and he had to step up and do something. But here's our seven points. Number one, Jesus knew his hour had come. There was an understanding of timing, seasons. You guys are in a certain season right now. You'll know how to be part of the body, get plugged in and serve based on where you're at. We're not looking to make anybody do anything crazy. Number two, Jesus knew God's intentions for him. Just like God wants you to know his intentions for you as well. He wants you to know that that service, through service and loving each other, the world's going to see you're different. And what's going to happen? You're going to be blessed. Remember? You're going to be happy. Satisfaction, fulfillment. Number three, Jesus knew what he was doing and he knew that it had future fulfillment. Number four, Jesus knew who the enemy was. He knew Judas and he served in spite of having that information. There's not an excuse to not serve or love people just because you identify them as the enemy. Number five, Jesus wants you to know these things that we covered. He wants you to know what your place is and how you can engage in the body of Christ. Number six, Jesus wants you to be blessed in your knowing and doing. What's that? God wants you to be happy? Well, he wants you to be blessed by the application of what his word instructs you as his child, as his children. Number seven, Jesus wants you to know you are chosen. And sometimes (laughs) we just need that, right? We need to know that God is for us. He's not against us. And the influences of the enemy have no business, and any offer that he makes you will never be greater than what God has to offer you. So going into our slides, I'm going to go through these quickly. If you see something that catches your eye, we have signups at the information station. Um, you can go talk to somebody at the information station. They can give you some more information because that's what they do. at the. You get it? Thank you. We love you guys. When I say to you from the bottom of my heart that 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 we love you, I love you. Thank you for those of you who do serve on a regular basis. We appreciate you even when sometimes it doesn't seem like we do. We do. Also, if you're new, don't feel any obligation to sign up in any of those areas to serve. And if there's anything that you can do, like you, you saw the whole list and you're like, there's nothing on that list that applies to me. There's nothing on that list that I want to do or can do or will commit to doing. You can do this. There's one thing that you can do that you have been gifted in that I know as a fact. You can pray for the things that you don't want to do for the Lord to raise up other people to do them because somebody's got to do it. You can pray the gift of divine communication with your maker. Lord, I really don't want to do kids ministry. Would you please raise up 45 people in Jesus' name? I'm, you guys are going to be surprised when we get to heaven how much uh, treasure those kids ministry workers have. They'll be living in, in double mansions or something. We love you guys. Thank you for letting me go a little bit later this morning. Let's close in, in prayer. God, you were the ultimate extreme example of love to us that we've ever experienced. You, you said, I'm going to wash your guys' feet so that you see the example I did for you and that you would go and do it for others. May we be so like-minded with you, Jesus, that we would be looking for opportunity to serve others with all of our hearts, not for our own personal benefit, but motivated by love. The love that you first showed to us that you poured out into our hearts, may it be manifested towards each other, Father. Thank you for this body, for these people who serve you in obedience, not sacrifice, but just in obedience to you and submission to you. Bless them and bless your church this week, Father. We pray together in agreement. In Jesus' name, amen.